Hey, just want to remind you, we're going to have DealMaker Live this year in Dallas, Texas, July 16 to 17. Head over to DealMakerLiveEvent.com to grab your tickets. It's going to be in person or virtual, whichever you prefer. I'll see you there. Well, hello, DealMakers, and welcome to the show, where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Maybe not in a way that you think, which is single-family house investing. No, the way we do is with apartment buildings. And the cool thing is you can do it without previous experience and your own cash. So today, we're going to talk about two guys who basically figured out how to do their first deal and overcame a bunch of odds because it is all about the first deal. I talk about the law of the first deal a lot. In order to trigger the law of the first deal, which means that you get your second and third and you quit your job, you need that first deal. But that's kind of a chicken egg problem. How do you get that first deal? How do you overcome some of the mindset limitations that you have where you don't believe you can do something? And how do you overcome that? And that's our two guests talk about today because they were faced with those same exact challenges early on and ended up closing a deal where they raised a million dollars. That's pretty amazing. Before we get into that, let's bring in our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? All right. Tell me how we can try to increase the NOI of our apartment building. So you increase the NOI in one of, well, two ways. One is you increase revenue or you can decrease expenses. What are some of the things that that we've been doing that others might be able to replicate in their properties? Yeah. One of my favorites right away on the expense side. So at, at the end of the day, you're really a lot of your value add deals. You're, it's a revenue play for the most part. Now, on the expense side, a very easy one to knock out right away are low flow toilets. So you can put in your CapEx budget, you know, what it's like 300 bucks a toilet or 350 a toilet, whatever it is. And that, that will automatically bring down your water bill sometimes as much as 50% if the operator didn't already do that. And there's tons of deals out there that ha they have not done that on the expense side. And so that's a really cool way on the expense side to, to lower the expenses, but let's be honest, the majority of it is increasing your, your rental revenue and your other income as well. And so on the income side, the other income side, you can add additional fees on top of your rubs, which are really helpful. Uh, you can add things such as valet trash where you're charging a premium for that. Your valet trash costs 10 bucks and you're charging people 25. So there's different techniques and different things you can do depending on the deal. They're going to increase your revenues, lower your expenses. Yeah. The key is looking for these opportunities. And I think sometimes you find them when you go to some of the comps specifically. Yes, you have some tricks up your sleeve. For example, the e-conserve, right? The water thing. We do that a lot where a company comes in and they basically save like 40% on a water bill. Or you know, we uh, we we appeal the the tax assessment, right? So we go in each deal and go, what are some of the comps been doing? What have we done in, in the past? And every time you do that, it makes you more competitive. Sometimes you're like, you wonder, oh my gosh, these guys overpaid. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe whoever bought it actually has a trick up their sleeve, like we talked about previously on the podcast, where some people are converting a number of their units, maybe 10% into short-term rentals. Well, that's a trick up their sleeve, right? Yeah. One thing I'm going to say that I think people shouldn't, they may be underwrite to, that they shouldn't look at is they shouldn't try to lower the payroll expense like over a certain level, because at the end of the day, you need good people. You need to understand the payroll in the market. If you need to spend more for that manager who's really good, that person's going to run your property more efficiently. I think spending more for payroll is a very good idea in general. That way you just have a smoother operation, less headache 
overall. And I, th- I think people sometimes look at that as, oh, the payroll is 1500 a unit. Well, it's probably like that for a reason. Maybe you can lower a little bit, but for the most part, if you can save elsewhere and still keep that payroll expense, I think that really is going to help your overall operation. It's an interesting idea where you actually try to increase your payroll. And, and I, I remember this was a mistake we did very, very early on where we try to decrease payroll because we're trying to do a value add, but it didn't serve us because now instead of being there full-time, they're only there 20 hours a week and that had other ramifications. So it's interesting. Don't skimp on the payroll because it's ne- at the end of the day, it's a people business. And we sometimes forget that. But today on the show, we have Gary Von Bortel and John Belinsky, and they met through the local re-up in Rochester, New York. Gary specifically had some real estate investing experience, and they both learned about apartment syndications. Well, Gary did and brought it to John, uh, who was at the RIA, and they both were lit up like a Christmas tree. They joined our mentoring program and then started their own meetup group in the Rochester area, and they ended up partnering and raising over a million dollars on that first deal. And, and after they got that then they had a deal with COVID. So we want to delve into their story right now to figure out how did they do that and uh, let me tell you, they struggled along the way. That first deal they did had some hair on it, and they barely managed to raise that million dollars. So we got some twists and turns that we're going to uncover here. And let's get right in the show with Gary and John. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts, Michael Block. Hey, Gary and John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. You guys are partners here, and we want to get into that. But first, I want to drill down a little bit on each of your personal journeys. So maybe we'll start with Gary. Gary, what is your history with real estate, and why did you get started with real estate, and kind of what, what did you do early on? Well, my first experience was uh, purchasing a, a duplex. And the reason I did that is I was somewhat handy and wanted to save a little bit of money in purchasing my first house. And I caught the bug. I thought, wow, what a a fantastic opportunity. I then started purchasing more uh, and more. I got up to a total of 17 units, uh, managed them all myself and and owned them. They were all local. Was, you know, just uh, really enjoying that as I was working full time. That was kind of how I got started. Why did you get it started, Gary? Why did you even start dabbling in real estate? Um, I saw the potential for living cost-free. I bought my first double. I met my wife. We bought another double. And at that time, we're not paying any rent at all. The three units were paying for our living expenses. And from there, I just caught the bug. I was like, that. this is fantastic, a fantastic way to go. I hadn't really started listening to anyone else who was doing it. Um, so I just kind of started that and uh, began on my journey. Uh, after we got married, I bought a few more. I went in and did a refinance on uh, the three that I had, pulled some equity out and just kept uh, kept that going. And that worked pretty well. You had you had a certain amount of units of these smaller multifamily that you had going on. At what point did you shift and you said, hey, I want to go bigger? Like, why did that happen? Well, I was listening to podcasts. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast. Uh, I think you have him as a speaker coming up in the next uh, event. And you were a guest and I got hooked. You know, you were talking about the syndication business. Um, at that point there, I, you know, I took a look at the material that you had provided and took a trip down to Reston and the rest is history. I was, initially, I was really hooked on the syndication process and wanted to learn everything I could about that. 
So I came back from Reston after looking at the material and understanding it and started to make offers. I went out and my wife and I were, you know, she wasn't quite as on board because she hadn't gone through the education that I had. So I was, you know, kind of dabbling and, you know, stumbling. I made a couple of offers, nothing that really stuck. In fact, I got really nervous. Uh, I think one of them was accepted, but a gut check told me that I'm not, not sure I was quite ready to do this on my own. And uh, how so, did you overcome that? That's a, that's a very common feeling. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm not so sure. How, what did you do about that? I partnered up. You know, this is where John comes in. We, we belong to the same local real estate group. And it was a Christmas party and he had heard me talk. You know, I was at a meeting and talking about this syndication thing. And he approached me and said, hey, I heard, you know, you're interested in this syndication. And the rest is history. We, we decided to, to work together. All right, that's a great segue to John. John, give us a little backstory on, your, on yourself. All right, so I've always been an investor my whole life, looking to try to make passive income, investing in real estate, mostly in stocks at first, and realizing that it's a path, but it's uh, not the only path, and I and I needed to get somewhere quicker. I was probably in my early forties that I had to do more. So we started looking at real estate as an opportunity to buy houses at a low price, renovate them. Like Gary said, I'm a very handy person. I can renovate anything from the top to the bottom of a house. And the problem is I don't realize I waste all my time doing it, but I still enjoy doing that part of it. So I started buying houses and renovating them and renting them out. And it seemed to work really well for me. But then I realized how long it took and the work went behind it. And I'm not getting younger. And I'm like, well, this isn't going to work for me very well. So I, I really started reaching out, looking for other avenues, podcast, you know, going to seminars, and same thing like Gary, it's funny because I believe the same place he heard you talk, I heard you talk, and you resonated to me. The way you were talking, what you're talking about, the whole kind of like from the beginning to end, how you approached it really kind of connected well with me. And I saw the path. It just made sense to me. And I started digging into it more. I started listening to all your podcasts, started researching you more. And it kind of brought me down that path where I was hungry to go into big multifamily. And that's why I you know, went down to Rustin like Gary again. And uh, when I came back, it was the Christmas party and like he was talking about. And uh, I was already charged up and ready to go. And I knew he was just waiting for somebody to come up to him and talk the language he was talking. And when I did, you could see the smile on his face. He's just like, brother, <laughs> you know, let's, let's go forward and start talking about how we can make this work for us. So it was kind of uh, full circle at that point where we, we kind of made the connection. And so let's go try to work together and see where it goes. Why did you guys decide to work together? And what, what was behind that? Why do you think that's a good idea? You know, we're based in knowing multifamily and understanding that we were going to the meetings and really were dedicated. I saw in John a very optimistic person that uh, kind of a real can-do attitude uh, about things. I'm in IT, I'm very analytical, and I was looking at deals and having a tough time getting to that point to where I was just talking myself out of everything. It, so it seemed. And John, you know, we, we started analyzing deals together, and he was seeing different opportunities to make the deal work. I was instantly attracted to that because that's that's what I needed was some, you know, positivity to help push us over that hurdle. And uh, that's how we, you know, got together and so, John, why, maybe you can answer the question from your side as well. Also, maybe talk about how you guys are splitting up your roles and responsibilities as you work together. Well, like Gary kind of was saying he's from IT, so he was already very uh, computer savvy, always dealing with uh, a lot of the data, day-to-day -day stuff. And when we started looking at deals, he was really good at doing the research on 
getting the pricing for like the real estate taxes, getting a hold of different people from the town to find out the nitty gritty of cost, um, which really helped me a lot because I, I work a, a you know, a six at AM to three o'clock job every day that I'm, I'm busy working with my hands. I'm not a person that has the time to make all the phone calls. And Gary really complimented me on that side of it. That being said, I was really, I'm really into um, analyzing like spreadsheets. I love data. I love to see stuff. I love to kind of work through it. And I think with Gary and me, I think Gary, burned himself out on it a little bit. I think he didn't really enjoy the numbers as much, but uh, I looked at him and I saw the path of where we could go and you know where the potential came from when if you, you worked it out the proper way. So I think between the two of us, we kind of, one took one end and one took the other end and we kind of met at the middle is in the process. So it really worked well for us. So how do you do it now? So who, so who, who's the deal finder? Who's the capital raiser right now? Do you share that or does one kind of gravitate towards the other? We, we both share that. Um, I think we're always looking when it comes to raising capital, we, we went down a path of instead of going after friends and family, um, I think both Gary and me agreed early on that that wasn't the path we wanted to go down. So we decided to start up a local meetup group. And with our meetup group, we right away from day one, um, since we had a, a good connection with the local real estate groups, um, we were able to brought, bring in people that were interested in learning more about large multifamily. That being said, every every month they seem to grow our group. And what we did, when we did re- find properties and re- go out and visit them and do our research and try to come back, we came back to our meetings and shared it with our, our group, and which worked really well for us because when we worked down the path where we found the first property, most of our investors came from our group. They already went down the path with us and they learned the process and they're excited about getting involved. So that is such a good point. Because there's always this like chicken and egg factor that comes into do I get the deal first? Do I get the money first? How do I put them together? What do I do? You know, that. And I think the way that at least we found success and in, in, in the past is is kind of priming things up, right? Like you, you, you can take, a lot of people don't know this, you can go out and take, you know, a fake deal packet. Hey, this is what it could look like when we go do it, this is what it may look like something like this. And you just share it with people. And then, you know, you've already primed that audience. And that's what you guys just did through Urea. You prime the audience. And then when it came time, oh, here's a deal that looks like the one I've been talking about for the last four months, five months. All right, let's go. Yeah. Uh, you know, versus sometimes people say, well, if I just find the deal, everybody's going to come. And it's not like that a lot of times. And so I I think that that's a pretty unique approach that you guys have with that. So you guys were just going to your local RIAs. Was there anything else you were doing to network to kind of build up that database? Yeah, what we did is we kind of created a split off group. Our local RIA was, you know, they're primarily focused on smaller multifamily, the duplexes and, and whatnot. And that's great. And they have other split off groups to talk about landlording, et cetera. Um, so we started a group. We called it the Upstate Commercial Apartment Investors Group. And we started meeting uh, at our local library. It was a free venue. And we would always consistently have 20, 25 people showing up at each meeting. We did it once a month. And we do a little presentation. We throw up some slides and we talk about the aspects of syndication because many were like, oh, what is this? I haven't really heard about this. You know, hey, you can become an owner of a larger apartment building. And, you know, there was a lot of people that had interest in that. So uh, we started having our own separate meetings that, you know, were a lot of the members were from the original RIA. And then they brought friends of theirs that had interest. 
So we kind of grew our own. We're up over, you know, 200 plus members. Uh, at this point, we branched out to both Rochester, Syracuse, and uh, Buffalo at this point. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So let's let's talk about that for, that first deal, you guys, a little bit, because, uh, you know, it's a. It's, how did you guys find it? So the, the deal initially actually came through a broker. Uh, it was a very large portfolio of eight properties, well beyond what we felt at the time we could take down. But we focused in on one of the properties that we thought was one that we really liked. And they, although they were taking offers on each individual property, they really wanted to sell it as a portfolio. Uh, so we submitted an LOI, went through the process, did everything you know according to what we had learned about, submitted the LOI. The deal actually went to one individual. He bought all all eight properties. It was you know a very large number. And before it even closed, the broker called us back up and said, "Hey, the individual you know was you know we we know you had interest in that. He doesn't really want that. One is a smaller unit, forty eight units, and it was a bit of a value add." He just really wasn't interested in that anymore. And he said he'd like to sell that to you after he buys the, whole, the rest of them. So that's kind of what happened. Uh, he wanted to do like a double close. We, we met the guy. He came from uh, uh, downstate New York and met us. And we just kind of hit it off and decided, hey, you know, let's uh, let's work this out. And we struck a deal. And as soon as he closed, uh, within a couple of months, we had closed uh, on taking that property from him. That's pretty cool. Now, how many deals did you look at before you got this one? I mean, this is, was this the first offer you made? You talk about submitting LOI, or was there maybe more than one? Myself, I had submitted my my wife and I <laughs> four different LOIs prior to that, and this is only a matter of months after our education uh, path that we had taken. So, uh, and then John and I as well had worked on a couple of others. You know, we looked at. So, you know, I would say a half a dozen at this point. Actually, that's amazing. Amazing. I was looking for more like a hundred, right? <laughs> right. I mean, Garrett knows this. Typically, you're making a you're, you're you're analyzing a lot of deals and you're making a lot of offers. But as is evidence here, you 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 have a little bit of a, a you know luck or not luck, right? Sometimes you can just uh, you can get luck into something sooner, and then sometimes it takes a little longer. So there's a little bit a little bit of timing luck involved in there. There was. I think the other thing part is too was it was. Uh a more complex deal up front, like Gary said, it was an eight unit property. But uh, the interesting part of this thing was just throw it out there just as a topic. The original owner who was selling the property was being indicted. <laughs> uh, I'm oh. like, I, I want to say about 70 counts. It was a very large, one of the larger oh, property owners in, in all of the United States. And uh, he's probably the top 15 up in the country. So the whole property was a very uh, radioactive for some level. So we were, we kind of looked at it like learning everything from your, from your classes and all that, that there's always a chance for us to step away. So let's just work down the path on this property. And I think because of that, there wasn't probably a lot of other people looking to buy this deal. They were probably worried about uh, the ramifications of what was going on. And uh, we just kind of stuck with it. And, and every time we kind of hit a wall, we kind of realized, let's just keep pushing. We always have our, we always have our, our, our escape route if we have to. But let's see where it goes. And what we kept working hard. We actually had difficulty getting title on the property. That was our first issue was that there was a blanket email or a letter that was sent out to all the, the major title companies saying, don't title these properties. So our attorney looked at us and said, I don't even know if I can get title insurance. You know, you guys might want to think about another property, but we were too stubborn. So we kept moving forward and we did find title insurance, but it was it was a risk that we took. 
One of the great things that I, this is a, a good point. I love your guys back and forth right now is when you guys have, when you have partners, you, you really feel like you, it's one of the powerful things about a partnership. You feel like you can't let the other person down. Whereas it's much easier sometimes if you can quit on yourself, but if you got someone else that's in the ring with you, you guys are going to push each other harder to get to a certain place. And I have to think that that had to play into this kind of a hairy deal. You guys had some challenges, but you guys are both friends. You're motivated to get to the finish line. Talk about how that kind of came into play with this one. Well, I would just say that, you know, as I stated in the beginning, I was always easy to talk myself out of a deal. Um, John is very optimistic and I would just say he's the one that kept pushing. Uh, I was probably a couple of times just saying maybe we should think twice about this. And, you know, I, to this day, I'm, I'm super glad we did not, but John is, uh, the one that kept saying, Hey, let's, let's keep moving forward. Like you said, you know, we've got a way out, right. We can put our due diligence money down earnest money. And, you know, if things really, you know, get hairy, we pull back. So we kept pushing forward. It's it's an example where if you hadn't partnered, what would have what would have happened, right? It's it's like Gary Gary's just in his own own head talking himself out of it constantly, right? I don't know, if, John, if you were having similar conversations as well, but I'm just wondering uh, what difference it made that you partnered with someone in where you are right now. Well, I'm pretty sure that deal never would have happened even for myself. I think it would have been too big of a lift because there's too many. We had a lot of complications. I want to say we came up with a list of probably about 20 things that happened that we could easily have turned away. You know, there are big, big problems, big issues. And I think if I was there myself, I probably could have talked myself out of it pretty easily because like you said, having a partner and leaning on them and just talking through the scenarios and say, well, what if, you know, what's, what's our A, B and C plan here. And once you talk through it, I think that was probably really the biggest deal for us to make things happen was the partnership kind of kept the glue for everything to work, you know? And this is another lesson here is tenacity, right? I don't know if you guys are listening to this podcast, watching this on YouTube. It's, it's a consistent theme. Deals are not just going to fall in your lap. And even our, our deals, you know, and Garrett knows this more than anybody else because he's kind of finding the deals. It, it, it is tenacity. It's sticking with it even after you lose the deal and it comes back. It's tenacity at overcoming obstacles like you have, finding a particular opportunities. And this is why you guys won the deal, right? Everybody else says, I'm out. So there's too much hair on this thing here. Too much trouble. I'm just going to move on. You guys says, nope, we're going to do this deal. And that's why you want it. I love that. Well, we also, Michael, we, our first deal, we had tenacity. I had, we were working that thing for an entire year and we, we don't have like a great story on the other side of it. No, like, because oh, we, we lost that deal. And we made <clears throat> we ended up losing money. that deal. We lost deal. our ass and, <laughs> and we lost the deal and we lost that, like all that. The winning story out of that was that we did. We've done six deals since then. Well, this is this is a story, uh, and, and, and you know when you lose a deal, which we did, and that there's, this is not the isolated. When you lose a deal, it's not a loss. But number one, you learn stuff yourself. Number two, you're building relationships because uh, that's not around the people. The reason you're, you're one of the reasons you're here, Gary, is because we learn more about you, but also the the brokers involved. They see how you behave. And uh, we've heard stories before where someone lost a deal and two weeks later, the broker called them up with an off-market deal. Hey, sorry it didn't work out. You're a great guy, great gal. Here's what I got for you. So your tenacity did not go unnoticed in you know, the people around you. Without that, that tenacity that I, I had to bring in, this was like you know, kind of my redemption and people that know my story. Now I had a, you know, a partnership fall apart and then you know, was trying to find my next 
partnership situation. And I had to prove myself to the next, to my next partners, which just happened to be you guys, but that tenacity stayed. And even though I, we were, I was work, I wasn't making any money on this. We had money tied up in it. We, we had to work this deal for an entire year. It was a monster deal, 545 unit deal. And getting the, I couldn't have done it had you guys not been in the arena with me. I would have given up as well. At a certain point, I was like, I worked every day for an entire year because yeah. of that. So, and this is what I love about this business is partnerships. Like, you know, it's very rare to have a, a lone ranger on, on there. It's normally a partnership. And I love that. And you mentioned something, John, a second ago. This would have been too heavy of a lift, probably with the amount of due diligence tasks you had to overcome. But also, you guys raised like a million dollars on this thing. Was, was that easy to do or t- talk about that? It wasn't. I would say we had, you know, maybe half of the investors that we have today were kind of somewhat on board. You know, they were like, hey, you guys find a deal. We were open and honest and all cards on the table. I think we we had won people over because of that. We knew them. When it came down to closing and getting close, yeah, things started getting a little nervous because, you know, we were looking at how much money we actually had committed and we were a bit far from the goal. You know, we we just pushed ahead. We we tried, you know, a few different things. One of them was we basically set up at a coffee shop for the entire day and just invited our investors, the ones that had expressed interest to come in. And, you know, every 15 minutes we went down and, and met with a different investor and went through our deal package with them. You know, we got them. So we got them all on and they're super happy. We've been paying out distributions uh, according to our plan and our, our investors are super happy. And that was our main goal was, you know, we didn't make, you know, a killing on the first deal, right? It was pretty standard deal. Uh, we pulled back on our equity split just to make sure that our investors, we want them there next time. That's where we are. You know, when we do have the next deal, we've got some investors that are just like, hey, let us know when you got the next one. So very important. All right. So you had your own investors, Gary, you knew people, John knew people, then there was a meetup and it sounds like you put the word out and you did not immediately raise a million dollars. It wasn't like. immediate. We were, yeah, we were down to the wire. I mean, we, we had enough to close. I think we needed about half of what we raised just to close. We were there, but we needed the extra for um, the building did come with some, you know, some ills. Uh, we had uh, planned on renovations. You know, the apartments were, you know, really needed a, a bunch of work. We had planned actually to do like 12 of them in the first year and we're up to 22. A lot of things were related to COVID, right? Because right after we closed, COVID. Well, I want to get to that in a a second. But how did (laughs) you how how did you bridge the gap? Because there's a lot of people are afraid of raising money. Like, my gosh, I got to raise X amount of dollars. What if I can't? Right? I mean, that thought must have crossed your mind. What if I can't? How did you overcome that? I think the biggest thing was that you know our meetup was our, our. biggest pot of where we raised our money from. And the issue we had was people said they wanted to be part of it, but get them to commit was the yeah. issue. Yeah. And I think once we, like Gary said, we had a few meet- meetings with people we set up for different weekends, just getting them to sit down and go through it and let them know there's a, there's a finish line here and there's a, there's a deadline and to get them to sign off. And it was just getting them to sit down and go through it. And for us to be there and kind of like demand, like, this is the day. If you're not here, you're going to miss out. And we actually had a few people that wanted to be part of it that kind of didn't get there when they should have. They missed out because we raised enough. And now they're coming back and like going, man, I know we missed the deal. And they're like all upset about it. But they go, well, the next one will be ready for you. Just don't be wishy-washy about it, right? That was the whole 
but I think it was that, that part of it kind of focused on sitting everybody down and, and making sure they knew there was a, a timeline. We had to stick to it and we were going to be moving on. You built some scarcity into that. That was, that would played into it a bit, but then you also, I'm sure you had to get the reps in too. So it was, a, it was probably a combination of volume and, you know, there were some tactics that went into it. Where were some more of the ways that you got people into the deal when it came down to the wire? I think a lot of it was just being honest and open. John and I were like, listen, we're not going to take a dime. We're not going to take our return, you know. And another thing is we invested. So we threw in as much money as the largest investor did. So we got skin in the game. It's like, listen, you know, we're here. You know, we're not going anywhere, you know. And uh, I think that meant a lot. Just the sincerity of, you know, our determination. We're not just going to raise money and walk on, you know, go to the next deal. We're, we're here to make sure this is a success. I can think of one thing too that we did that to the investors that were uh, actually investors that came out of the woodwork. We didn't know these guys prior. They came looking for us. They heard about the deal, but they were definitely more sophisticated and uh, become good friends of ours since then. But what they wanted to do is they wanted to see the property. So we invited them out. We, we were able to bring them out there before we closed. The owner let us come out there and have them see the property. They, they walked around, looked at the property and we knew they were smart enough to understand that there was work. So when they went in there, they weren't going to be, you know, shocked by anything. But I think that was the one thing we'd offered. There was a few people were maybe questioning. We said, if you want to come look to make sure you understand what you get yourself into, we're willing to do that, knowing it was a risk. You know, that was, but we, we knew we had to do it. So that was one of the things we did. Again, hustle and tenacity, it's, it's paying off. And every, every entrepreneur, I think, shares that quality and you guys do as well. Now, you talked earlier about COVID, right? So I think you guys bought this right, like right before it. Did that create any challenges for you? Sure, it did. Uh, so we closed just before COVID started really, uh, really hitting. And the issue that we had was primarily with our property management. Uh, we were required to our, lend, our lender to have this under third property management, which we needed to anyway. The property is an hour and a half from us, so we can't be there all the time. And the property manager was like, hey, we can't even go on site. You know, we can't show units. We can't go in and do repairs. And that, you know, our building. So we had a couple of issues that we uncovered during our due diligence that required us to, we had a uh, an issue with uh, asbestos. We had to abate the, uh, some of the common hallways and whatnot. And that meant our plan was to displace tenants. Oh boy. <laughs> so we did. Uh, and we, uh, fortunately we were able to do it uh, within an eight hour window. So we went four by four, half of four at a time. And we actually had to have the tenants uh, leave for the entire day. And it was, it was a challenge that we had to face. But we, we were very successful in getting that done. John, anything you want to add to that? Not really. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing with the property with COVID was that, you know, the, the thing is for us, we, we bought a property nearby purposely because we both are hands-on. And I think if we would have bought this property, just say in Texas, uh, neither one of us would have been able to done much to, to help the property. But being that we were close enough, we were able to go out there because of COVID and be that in-between part that needed to be there, you know, to fix those problems or answer a question to a tenant or make sure one thing's getting done that was really important. Because it was so new, we just bought it. Without us doing that, we would have been just hoping. Yeah, and I think I think that's a good point. There's there's two sides to it, right? It's like buying your local market. There's there's that whole side. There's obviously a benefit to that if you if you know the market and you're around the property that's there. 
I think it has to be big enough in order for you to buy auto market a lot of times because that you know if you're buying a smaller deal and it's out of state, I mean, then it's tougher to be able to justify going to that market. That said, you know, there's also a benefit to having the you know bigger properties out of town. But I think in this instance, like you said, that's really good that you guys were able to go there and handle some of those challenges. What I really like about you guys, you guys are super scrappy, man. Like you, you guys just, you get in there, you you solve problems. And, you know, now you guys have this, this investor base that trusts you. They're like, these guys, even if a problem arises, they're going to be able to pivot and handle those problems. And us as operators, that's really what it's about at the end of the day. The plan is not always, and rarely is it ever going to go 100% according to plan. And so at that moment, it's about, okay, how do we pivot and how do we make it and put it back on track? Or if it's, if it's ever off track, or at least have enough padding in there to be able to withstand those kind of challenges that come into the picture. And so love that you guys are able to, to pivot around COVID. You know, I, I'm just trying to reverse engineer some of your uh, reasons that you guys feel you were successful. One common theme is definitely partnering. You talked a lot, a lot about that. The second one is your meetup. Your meetup came up repeatedly where it was a source of investors who saw you in a, in a position of authority and you used that to basically raise a million dollars. So you need to build a community around yourself. You did it with meetup uh, with COVID before COVID that's probably a little more difficult to do now. How are you expanding that community of investors You know, after COVID? What are you guys doing with that? So we're looking to get back into it. We definitely um, went virtual after you know the COVID. We've been unable to get together. And it's been a huge challenge. And I think that's part of the reason that things have slowed down a little bit for us. And we're looking to you know, really dig back in and get back up to where we were meeting once a month. Uh, not having that synergy amongst the, the investors or the, our group is a huge loss. It's a challenge um, that we've been trying to overcome. And we're really looking forward to getting back in there um, and, have, and resume these meetings. Uh, not only did we have our monthly meetings at this uh, venue, but we also started having mixers. That was John's idea. Some people just wanted to get together and socialize and you know, not do the PowerPoint presentations and learn about all the terms. And I think that helped a lot. In fact, some people have reached out to us, hey, let's get back together and do the mixers. So. There's so many different ways to do this. You guys have cho chosen to do meetups in person. There's other people who've chosen to go on Twitter, right? Or LinkedIn. In fact, it, it varies so widely. The, the thing that they all have in common is they're all building a community somewhere with potential investors. And potential investors are everywhere, right? And, and it, there's not one way or wrong way to do that. What other advice you guys have for someone who wants to do what you've done? You know, obviously partner, uh, build a community around yourself. What what are the thing that would you advise someone that to make them successful? Look at the Michael Blank, <laughs> go to any of his seminars and educate yourself. Uh, all those are the tools that you need to kind of get the base around you. You can go out, go out there and, and beat the bushes for properties and, and find investors. But I think if you don't understand all the logistics behind it um, and what you're getting yourself into, you get yourself in a lot of trouble really quick. And I think that would be one of the things I advise is get yourself the education you need to know what you're doing before you jump into it too deep. Man, that, that is such good advice. I love it. You guys did a perfect combination of, you know, educating yourselves, partnering up, which is, which is so cool because this is very much a partnership business and then just taking action and taking something down. So thank you guys so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. I think it's going to inspire a ton of people. So we appreciate it. Thanks, guys. 
And before we let him go, how do how can people connect with you guys? Sure. So we've got a website. It's uh, rockcapitalgroup.com. And that's just R-O-C, capital group.com. Uh, we're from Rochester and they, everything's like rock this, rock that. So it's, I'm at uh, Gary at rockcapitalgroup.com. John is at John at rockcapitalgroup.com. Our meetup group is uh, Upstate Commercial Apartment Investors Group. And we are in Rochester, Syracuse, and Buffalo. Fantastic ways to, to reach out to us, send us an email, uh, take a look at our website. Awesome. Yeah, Michael called me out on that one. I, I, yeah. I forgot to add you guys onto that. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> knows now. Let's stop. That's fantastic, guys. Hopefully, one day I come out to your guys' meetup and, uh, in New York. From yeah, we'll that way. <laughs> yeah, we're looking to expand out, we're looking to grow and network as well. You know, we've been looking down in the uh, in the Carolinas. Uh, you know, New York is uh, it's great to have stuff in your backyard. I think that's great, you know, a great way to get started. But we are looking to expand, so uh, and we're looking to partner. Cool. So love, love to talk to people. We we definitely join uh, as much as we can. Thank you for having us. It was a wonderful time. We've had a super time talking to you guys. Thanks so awesome. much, Gary. Appreciate it, John and Gary. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Michael. You know, as I study people who are successful, it's not the demographic, it's not the amount of experience they have, it's not the amount of money they have. It's really one thing, and it comes down to hustle, right? It's a work ethic, a hustle, a tenacity, and we saw it with uh, with John and Gary. You know, I really, I love when I hear these kind of things because just the amount of pivots that need to take place in any partnership, in any business, really that especially apartments that exist, uh, you know, it, from acquiring the deal to raising the money, all that stuff, you have to be able to push through adversity. And I think that one of the key points that we've touched on in this show was that when you have a partnership, you can keep the tenacity at a higher level than if probably- I, if I agree because it's it too solo. easy to kind of quit or not show up that day. I don't feel like it. I don't want to make that phone call. You know, it's too hard. And you're letting yourself down, which is bad enough. But now you're letting your partner down. And I, I just love this. this. is another reason why partnerships work so well in this business. Yeah. And honestly, like I had a partnership before it didn't work, but I didn't, I got so much further having that partnership. I thought the upside of having the partnership was way, way more advantageous than not doing it. Cause I probably would have just been, I don't know, who knows what, what I would have been doing. So when I, you know, when we got into into our partnership, I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to let you guys down now. I want I want this to work really well, and I, I, I love that, you know, it all kind of started with them through their network that they they built through their their meetups. Not everybody does it that way, but what they did is they, you know, they started their their whole meetup in in town and, it, and grew that. Partnering is so key to the success uh, of the syndication business that in our mentoring program, that, that is what we do. We routinely partner people up with each other. And uh, typically what happens is one person gravitates towards the capital raising. They're the networker, the extrovert. The other person gravitates a little bit more like John towards the spreadsheets. 
you know, but in syndication, you need both. You need both people in a syndication. This is why partnerships work so well. So one person all of a sudden has a deal because they're a numbers person and they and, and they love the, the numbers and the detail and the, and the deal. And then we partnered up with someone who really prefers the relationships and the, and the networking. And so one of the benefits of working with a full-time syndicator, like in our program, is that we have dozens of other people that we can put you in touch with. So on that note, if if you want to explore mentoring, check us out at michaelblunk.com forward slash mentor and set up a call with us to see if mentoring is right for you. It really helps accelerate goals. You can do bigger deals faster and you avoid some of the bigger mistakes as well. But you're right, Garrett. I mean, they did meetups, which right now is a little unusual due to COVID, but it was a very, very uh, practical and very powerful thing to do. But other people are, are doing it online. Like I said, doing it online with social media. There's other ways to, to build communities of investors around you. Yeah. And they, you know, they, they did one thing that I, I think we, we haven't touched on a ton, but that building that kind of trust in advance and knowing that you can go out and talk to people to become potential investors that are at these meetups that are at, you know, their online events with sample deals that, Hey, I haven't done one, but here, this is a deal that we, we wish to what it may look like, or this is the one that we did or whatever it is. And having those conversations early, I think was, a, was a really key thing that those guys did to get yeah, to where absolutely. they are now, So sure. they had a huge accomplishment here with their, with their first deal. And hopefully you are listening or watching this are inspired to do the same thing. You know, the, everyone has have struggles with confidence and belief when they first get in there. And I just encourage you guys to educate yourselves, you know, read our book. It's called Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. It's on Amazon. It allows you to start building that that belief that you can do it. Look at some of our programs or other people's, educate yourself, and then surround yourself with, you know, I would say crazy people like you, crazy people who want to do what you want to do, which is become financially free with real estate. Uh, we have them in our environment. We have them at Dealmaker Live. That's coming up, actually. Forgot to mention, my goodness, it's in Dallas coming up real, real soon, July 15 to 17. Both Gary and John are going to be there. Of course, Garrett and I and the entire team will be there in Dallas. That's, that's at themichaelblank.com forward slash DML. Uh, we already have several hundred people going there in person. It's awesome. I can't wait, Garrett. And uh, hopefully see you guys there. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.